So the G20 is going on in Bali in Indonesia this week. Now, the G20, I remember covering the second G20. It was in Montreal. Um, we were mostly there for the riots, which took place outside. You remember back to those days? That was the days of the battle in Seattle, the WTO riots, the G20 riots, the G8 riots. Um, that was kind of the active protest part of that back then. Um, but the G20, Paul Martin was the head of it for the first couple of years. It was in existence in 1999. The meetings were held in Berlin in 2000 in Montreal. It was uh, the G7 came together with that idea uh, to expand one to include just financial talk. So it's a, it's a big deal. It's an interesting one because it brings together more countries, obviously, you have Brazil and India and China and so forth that are all there. Um, and this year it's in Bali, Indonesia, of course, one of the bigger economies in the world are getting there now at this point. Not quite, but growing. Um, so an important time for them to have this meeting as well. What's been interesting about this one is that it's the first time a lot of these leaders have met in quite a while. And there's three meetings back to back to back. So we had ASEAN in uh, Cambodia over the weekend. APEC is coming up in Jakarta or in Bangkok, rather, at the end of the week. And now they're at the G20. So lots of people looking out to see what was happening this time. And all eyes earlier today, because it is, again, now tomorrow in uh, Bali. But uh, on Monday, it was the first time that President Biden had met President Xi Jinping in person. They had spoken to each other before. So the leaders of the world's largest economies sit down to chat. Um, they said it would be an urgent conversation or a conversation on how to work together on urgent global issues. Here's what President Biden had to say. As the leaders of uh, our two nations, we share responsibility, in my view, to show that China and the United States can manage our differences, prevent competition from becoming anything ever near conflict. Joe Biden there uh, earlier today talking about his meeting with Xi Jinping. Uh, the Chinese president, meantime, said he hoped that they would chart the right course for a China-U.S. relationship. It has been a strained one, to say the very least, for quite a while now. Uh, Prime Minister Trudeau is there, obviously. Will he meet with Xi Jinping? Because Xi Jinping's having a lot of meetings. We don't know. We don't know whether he will or not. They're being a bit coy about it. Um, there is a school of thought that Canada is still in the penalty box uh, and that we're not going to be able to meet with the Chinese or the Chinese don't want to meet with us. Um, the Australians know all about this. He's meeting with with Australia's leader, uh, Prime Minister Albanese, as well. So we'll see how that all shakes down. Uh, but this is an opportunity, of course, for Canada on the world stage. Um, our expressed interest of being there apparently was to further isolate Russia. Now, Vladimir Putin is not there. He decided not to go. He sent his foreign minister instead, Sergei Lavrov, who today wound up in hospital or on Monday wound up in hospital for some reason. We don't know exactly why. Um, he looked happy enough, but he's not there either. So Russia is going to be a big deal at this, but there are lots of other issues uh, on the cards. And there's lots of other issues coming up at uh, APEC at the end of the week too. the Asia, Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation meetings uh, in Bangkok. And don't forget Canada last week, Melanie Jolie, just sort of outlined our long awaited Asia-Pacific strategy uh, to some extent, sort of a, a move away from a reliance purely on China to look at the area more broadly, try and find new relationships, uh, strike new trade deals. So with all that in mind, with all that as your background, joining me now is Barbara Martin. She's an adjunct professor in the School of Public Policy or School of Policy Studies, rather, at Queen's University in Kingston and a former Canadian diplomat who knows these sorts of events well. Uh, Barbara, thank you for your time. Delighted to be with you. 
This is a, a busy week for the Prime Minister. Lots of uh, lots of meetings going on. The G20 today, there was uh, some significant developments. Um, just on a much broader scale, the meeting between President Xi of China and President Biden of, of the U.S., I mean, we, a lot of people have been waiting for this day to happen. It, it seems to have went to have gone relatively well, considering how low expectations were going in. Yes, those sorts of meetings are always important. And I think Biden was uh, very wise in seeking that meeting out. Um, probably the Chinese also wanted that meeting. It's vital to sustain open dialogue, whether or not you agree with people. And the interesting thing is, though, on one point, there was agreement between Biden and Xi, and that is um, the nuclear threats that Putin was offering. Because, of course, Xi has a particular relationship with Putin. He's been cultivating it for quite a long time now. Uh, So to basically reprimand Putin for waiving the nuclear threat was an important moment. Yeah, we saw him do it last week, I guess, with uh, or uh, or was it the foreign minister with Olaf Scholz um, in that in that meeting where the China had already sort of broached that subject in that way. Um, but I imagine for both sides, it is important for them to be seen together too for the rest of the world, right? To see these two powers sitting down and talking. Yes, particularly given the importance of the Pacific, the situations that are emerging in the Pacific with North Korea. The increase, again, of uh, missile tests and the threat, again, of using nuclear weapons. I think there had been a hope a number of years ago that Kim would had abandoned his nuclear threats, but he's opening that door again. So, yes, important for Canada also to be meeting with with China. I'm hoping that Trudeau will meet with him when they're in Bali. He's uh, been a bit coy about whether the meeting is scheduled or not. But I'm sure that's due to the behind-the-scenes negotiations in order to to get the meeting to happen. It's like, is it important for for the prime minister to be seen with uh, with President Xi or not? I I think it's more important that he actually meet with him than necessarily to be seen with him. Right. I, I think I think the point is is that China and Canada are both were important trade partners in both directions, and I don't think either it's not either of our interests to see that uh, starting to unravel. And there are a lot of efforts to pull back from China, worries about the, the dominance in the technology areas and such like that. So there are interests on China's part as much as there are interests on our part. Minister Jolly, as much as her remarks were very vague, um, I think is signaling a bit of a recalibration on the part of Canada, um, something that I frankly welcome. I think I think we've been a little overboard in chasing trade and, and other engagement with China with a little bit of a lack of focus on some of the serious human rights issues uh, in that country. Yeah, it felt like it was always the answer for us uh, because of our reliance on the U.S. That China seemed like such an easy alternative to that that we were blinded somewhat. And I, you know, I spent time working in China that we were blinded to some somewhat to the uh, to some of the problems that were growing over time. I mean, that uh, China had changed, and we had sorry, the Chinese government had changed, the regime had changed, but we hadn't changed much. 
Yeah. Well, when I teach, it's interesting. I've always included a a little section on the uh, session we have on China about keeping our eyes wide open and remind them that, you know, my students, that China has interfered with uh, Canadian technology, our computer systems, uh, the attack on the National Research Council. We've had huge issues with criminals who seek to escape China and come to Canada there have been a lot of incidents that have been building to this greater worry about China caring less about what the world thinks of it in terms of its repression of the Uyghurs, its arbitrary detention of two Canadians. I think I think China, frankly, needs to have a little bit of a reckoning as to what its reputation is in the world. And yet it feels like if you look at Russia um, on, you know, this year specifically, but not just not just this year, if you look at President Xi, if you look at some of the others, um, it feels like this that that at least of late that, uh, you know, dictators, the strong men, so to speak, are on the ascendancy. Now, this is keeping keeping in mind all that's happening in Ukraine as well. But um, it feels like there's a bit of a divide at, at something like a G20 now between the democracies and the non-democracies. I certainly agree that both China and Putin, uh, Russia, create dilemmas within those organizations. But I don't think that there's a divide. I think those leaders are somewhat isolating themselves from the rest of the community Um, to their detriment. Putin is not doing well in Ukraine, and he's going to have a lot to account for when this situation is resolved. And I, you know, think that that will leave Russia with a significantly tarnished reputation for some time. And indeed, even China, Xi has been somewhat distancing himself. Putin used to go to the Chinese military um, parades every year, and he'd sit there in the grandstand looking. And I'm certainly going to check it out whether he's invited again this year. Barbara Martin is with us, adjunct professor at the School of Policy Studies at Queen's University, a former Canadian diplomat. We've been talking about a number of international meetings, some very high profile meetings today at the G20 in Bali. Um, you were just, we were just about to talk about how useful the G20 was. The G20 was created under very specific circumstances during the financial crisis and did a lot of good, or there was a lot of collaboration between China, America, and so on. Is it still, does it still work? It felt like an expanded G7 or G8 at the time was a good idea. Does it still work? I personally think it does. In 2014, I co-chaired with a Russian diplomat. It was the Russian G20 presidency, the um, G20 working group on anti-corruption. And I certainly saw the kind of work that was occurring within the G20 countries to implement legislation, to adhere to international standards, to make themselves more viable trading partners, because corruption is a huge issue for many of the countries around the world. So there was a real impetus for them to deal with that. So that is one small example um, where I saw and still see the G20 as having an important role in helping to, to raise those sorts of standards among all of the countries within the G20. And what importance does the gathering have then for that? Because I imagine a lot of this work goes on despite the, I mean, the gathering itself isn't, is, is, is the pinnacle, but it isn't really. There's all this work going on, as you mentioned, uh, th- behind the scenes throughout the year. 
It's a huge machinery that um, that has developed behind the G20 um, since its inception. In the first official G20 meeting was in Toronto, although there were pre-meetings, and it was very much inspired by um, then Minister Paul Martin. That's right. But the architecture is huge, covering uh, a lot of different areas of shared interest, including health and and a whole myriad of financial efforts to continue to manage the global financial system. It's opportunities for countries to steer the focus. Each country puts their own emphasis on what issue they want to to focus on during their presidency, and that gives them an opportunity to shine. So it serves multitudes of purposes, um, sort of helping other countries also participate in a leadership role in the international collaboration. Yeah, I remember the first G20 actually back because the issues seemed so different. It was at the time what was so interesting about it. It was the, it was clearly bringing together all these nations to talk about economics. And I think part of the issue is that now it's become sort of the G7 expanded, where a lot of political issues are on the table. For instance, Canada's stated goal at this G20 was to further isolate Russia, uh, mm-hmm. blaming it, of course, from a lot of the economic problems we're seeing. Uh, have we has it lost its way in that sense a bit? The way that we approach it, sort of politically and, and as a public relations exercise. I don't think it's lost its way at all. I, I think there's a room for a variety of fora. For example, you know, we talk about the ASEAN meeting. Canada for, is a partner country. It's not a full member of ASEAN. So we go and we play a different role in that context. In the G20, we're a full member, and it's a way of drawing in a wider circle. In the G7, it's much easier to get consensus in that context and so it can sort of push the international agenda in a certain way, show some leadership, hopefully draw others into, into uh, the kind of direction that the G7 would be taking. So I suppose we shouldn't put too much stock then as to whether or not there's a joint statement at the end, a communique, so to speak. Uh, usually those are agreed upon before everyone shows up. So I imagine if they're saying there isn't one, it's probably because there won't be, that we should just be, uh, I mean, talking at the end of the day is, is really what's important, I suppose, as long as these leaders are still sitting together and chatting, that's a good sign. It's nice to have um, an agreed statement, but frankly, a chair will provide a summary of the meeting. And they have a significant responsibility to represent the, in a sense, what consensus there was that agreed, that, that emerged. Um, it's interesting. The, the G7 summit that would, took place in Huntsville, um, same time as the G20 summit right. took place in Toronto. I was working on that way back when, and we were having a lot of trouble reaching an agreement on the communique language. There were some red line issues for Russia in particular. So I suggested uh, in the context uh, that perhaps it was better to not have a communique than to grid ground on these three red lines. And Prime Minister Harper actually agreed. And so Russia was furious. I had some pretty stern words from a Russian diplomat. But the Prime Minister simply did his own summary of the meeting at the conclusion of the meeting. The communique is important, but what we experienced was prelude to Prime Minister Harper, of course, at the Charlevoix summit, where they decided that Russia should no longer be a participant in the G7 slash G8. Right. Barbara Martin, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Thank you. Happy to chat.